Welcome to another episode of Counting on Chazen. Today, we're really excited about not only the topic, but the topic expert. Hey, Jackie McLaughlin, CPA, uh, Quality Control and Learning Manager for Chazen and Company. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You know, Jackie, I always have a lot of fun when I'm with you. And when we talk, you, you teach me a lot of new things. I'm always amazed at how common sense rules the day, but at the same time, we need to have some of these other issues at Delton. And so this is going to be a really interesting conversation talking about gifts and gift policies and what that includes. But before we get going, talk to me about what quality control and learning management means. Like, what does that mean to Chazen and Company? So within our firm, when we have clients and we do, you know, monthly work for them or audit work for them, whatever we do, we have teams that do that work. They're very good at what they do. But now, but we also have a quality control process and I liken it to writing a paper in college. If you have a really important paper you have to write for a college, generally before you turned it in, you had somebody look at it just in case you forgot the word A or the and you were so familiar with it, you didn't realize you forgot that word. So that's what I do is I'm reviewing. Um, now I'm reviewing the data that goes out to clients before it goes out, just as that second set of eyes. And then I'm also thrilled to be able to um, spearhead a well, or continue, continue a training program that we had in place. And so I get to start training um, both internal people and and we're working on possibly an external training program as well. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. So lots of fun. Well, you're good at that because I think I know for me, you, you're always able to explain things and then put them into a context that kind of helps carry through um, a lot of ways that we operate nonprofits. And so. I appreciate that. And I think one of these things um, is this gift issue that more and more nonprofits are looking at and kind of, I almost want to say being burdened by or challenged <laughs> by. And so um, it's going to be a really interesting conversation. So let's dig into it, my friend. And I'm going to start off by asking you this question that I think I know the answer, but now I don't think I know the answer for <laughs> sure. And that is, should nonprofits categorically take all bequests or gifts? I mean, we're just like the policy is we accept everything. So let me answer that with one of my crazy examples, because, okay. you know, I have all kinds of crazy examples. <laughs> so I worked for a nonprofit that did that. Mm -hmm. And after a few years, they said, oh my gosh, our community thinks that we are the goodwill of the community. And so we are getting all kinds of used clothes and broken crock pots and whatever else, wow. even to the point, and this is a super interesting, crazy example. And by the way, this crazy example is true. All of it <laughs> um, is they had a donor donate property real estate to them. So on the surface, you would say, oh, my gosh, this is great. What a great asset to get get your arms around. Except that the real estate was undevelopable, undevelopable. Mm -hmm. 
So instead, what the organization really ended up with was a lot of land that they couldn't sell, that they had to pay property taxes on and maintain it. So on the surface, it appeared like a really good thing, but in practice, it turned out to be something completely different. So the answer is no, nonprofits should not <laughs> just accept anything that anybody wants to give them. Right. You know, it's it's such an interesting thing because um, you and I have talked about this um, on camera and off co- camera about this amazing historical transference of wealth as the baby boomers pass away. And then there have been smaller, you know, uh, numbers of children born. And so there there are more assets there was a lot of wealth created by the baby boomers and then there's these bequests and wealth is defined differently generation to generation in some ways too i'm i've got to ask you about you know the the idea of taking collections or what we think of as things that might be um truly valuable Mm -hmm. but we don't necessarily know about them so for example maybe you know, a vintage car collection or art. Um, you coined this wonderful, wonderful world word <laughs> for me. Um, you know, the, the painted uh, Velvis, that velvet painting of Elvis that people think this should be in the Louvre, you know, <laughs> but not so fast. Talk to us about how we kind of deal with these things. Well, like anything else in a business, and nonprofits really are businesses, there needs to be policies around these things. And policies create a proactive environment. If you're thinking ahead about what you want to do and what you don't want to do, it solves a lot of problems later on. Mm -hmm. So leadership in a nonprofit should really put their heads together and develop a gift acceptance policy. And a gift acceptance policy is what will we accept and what won't we accept? And before just sitting down and saying, well, we're gonna accept everything or we wanna accept antique car collections. Mm -hmm. Before just sitting down and making these broad sweeping statements, leadership really needs to think about the implications of this. So for example, an antique car collection, which you would think on the surface would be worth a lot of money. What if all these antique cars are broken down? What if the leather inside of them is ripped? What if the paint job is really, really bad? That organization is going to have to put money into those antique cars to bring them to a level that they can really be sold. And even if the organization is willing to do that, let's go to the next step. Who is going to manage the renovation of the antique cars? Who's going to find the vendors and the contractors who can repair the leather seats and the paint job and whatever else? Who, once all of that's done and you have these lovely cars ready to sell, Who's going to manage the sales of this? How are they going to sell it? Are they going to advertise it? How much money are they going to have to spend to advertise? Are they going to outsource it? Who are they going to outsource it to? How much of the proceeds will that outsource company keep? 
So there are a lot of factors involved in this that on the surface, something that appears to be a no-brainer, well, sure, we want antique cars, they're worth money. Mm. Maybe not as much money as you think they are. So all of these thoughts are thoughts that leadership needs to think about when they're developing this gift acceptance policy. You know, Jackie, is this a policy? I mean, we've talked to you about this before in a, in a different sense, but a lot of times policies, we review them once a year or every other year, and then we get the board to sign off on them, the C-suite, generally before the year turns so that we're ready to go, you know, the first of the year, whether that be, you know, fiscal or calendar. How often do these gift acceptance policies change? Is it is it pretty much a one and done or what does that look like? They change as often as leadership decides to change them. Okay. So they should be fluid. They should change. And oftentimes, you know, we talk about in particularly in startup businesses, startups will throw spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks sure. and pivot based on that. Well, nonprofits can do the same thing. And a gift acceptance policy is a good example. So, for example, going back to my previous crazy story, if our gift acceptance policy had said, yes, we'll take real estate, yes. Well, then after we took this particular parcel that I was talking about, we learned from that. We learned that, oh, we shouldn't take any real estate. So that would be an opportunity to tweak the gift acceptance policy. Yeah, I appreciate that you shared that because you're right. I mean, these are going to be, in some cases, once in a career kind of moves. Um, And so how do you, you know, move towards, you know, the future? Or um, I loved your point about that organization becoming known for accepting stuff. (laughs) You know, that could happen with real estate, too. They're known for taking second homes or they're known for taking, you know, timeshare ownerships, whatever, I can see how you do, you would need to be fluid. And I think that's, I think that's really, really um, good advice. Along those lines, let me ask you, this is more, again, more of an accounting uh, question, but do non-cash gifts need to be recorded? Like, how do we deal with that when we're talking about revenue and the assets that, that nonprofits are taking on? Yes, they do need to be recorded. So non-cash donations are what's known as an in in accounting speak, an in-kind donation. And there have been some relatively recent um, accounting pronouncements that now require those in-kind donations to be shown on the statement of activities as its own line item. Okay, interesting. So again, that's even more of a call to understanding what that gift policy is going to look like, right? Because that will help kind of inform some of these these decisions and actions. That gift acceptance policy should inform, should be written so that the people on the ground who are dealing with the potential donors don't have to make any decisions. When a potential donor comes to them and says, I have an antique car collection I'd like to give you, the gift acceptance policy should be written such that the advancement person can say, thank you so much. I really appreciate you thinking about us, 
but our gift acceptance policy precludes us from accepting antique cars. If if that's the case, I mean, I'm making that example. Right, right. Up, but, but I think yeah. that's great. I think that's great. You know, one of the things, and, and we'll get into this even a little bit deeper, but it's the emotional aspect of a bequest or a gift. And if it's cash, it's cash, and we can all agree on on what that dollar amount. But what if it's a, you know, a favorite lake house, or it's you know something more intangible, like a that Velvis, that beautiful velvet painting <laughs> of of Elvis. Skinny Elvis, fat Elvis. I'm not sure which Elvis would show up, but you know, <laughs> for some people, when they're giving that over to a nonprofit, there's some emotion attached to that, and and maybe their value is a lot higher than the reality. How do we talk about that and and understand fair market and still keep our donors happy? I mean, it seems to me that could get to be a little icky. And that's where the gift acceptance policy comes into play. <laughs> so if a policy is already written, it makes it very easy for the advancement person who's getting presented a velvet to use all of their great people skills that they have developed yeah. and talk to the donor about what, how much this velvet must have meant to their mother or father how much you know it's so thoughtful that the child thought of donating this very um, meaningful piece yeah. to their organization however the gift acceptance policy really doesn't allow acceptance of velvises mm -hmm. <laughs> the gift acceptance policy is limited to cash stock certain types of property whatever however it's written okay. so that's that is their out is that gift acceptance policy that they can couple with their very very good people skills to help soften the blow yeah because that's got to be a challenge and, and another part of that is you know understanding that we in in development or in running our nonprofits, you know we know what we know and we're experts and we're program driven and then all of a sudden we're being pulled into becoming art appraisers or real estate appraisers. Talk to us a little bit about that. Like where would we go or how would we get this fair market issue? I mean, obviously we need to step outside, right? And we need to find those experts. Can you share with us a little bit about what that looks like? So sort of, as yeah. any good tax person would say, it depends. It depends. <laughs> On the donor side, I can absolutely answer that question. So on the donor side, let's say they are donating property is a great example, or let's, well, let's get, keep it to property. For them to take that deduction on their tax return, they have to have an appraisal that accompanies it. Okay. So the, the organization that accept is accepting it could certainly take the value off the appraisal that the donor has to get anyway, anyway. if they want to take that deduction. Right. Yes. Okay. Okay. However, however, I will caution the organizations, and this is true with stock gifts as well as non-cash donations. When the organizations receive these gifts, they cannot issue a letter that says, we received a Velvis and its market value is $20. Mm -hmm. No, all the organization can say is we received a Velvis 
on this date. Thank you very much for your donation with no value assigned and nonprofits. We see them frequently not being educated in this. And particularly when it comes to stocks, they'll say, you know, the, the um, confirmation thank you letter will say, thank you for donating 10 shares of Apple stock worth $10,000. Mm-hmm. They can't say that. They have to say, thank you for donating 10 shares of Apple stock on January 10th, 2023. End of it. Okay. Then it's up to the donor to go get the fair market value of that for their tax deduction. So interesting. You know, I got one more question on that that just uh, popped up in my mind And before we move on. Who is paying for these evaluations? So, you know, I understand about, you know, the real estate aspect, but let's go back to the art collection or the antique toy collection or whatever. Who, there, there are appraisers out there and there are, you know, licensed and, and well, you know, um, educated and credible sources, but that comes at a cost. Yes. Who, who, who takes that on? Depends <laughs> <laughs> on the gift acceptance policy. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's fair to say that that gift acceptance policy should detail that. Sure. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. Who's going to provide the appraisal? Yeah. 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 I think that's interesting because it's, I mean, it's going to be all over the place depending on what it is you're, you're doing. I mean, um, if you're doing jewelry versus real estate, there's a big difference, I would imagine, in the, in the amount and appraisal costs. Yeah. And I would argue that that burden should fall on the, the donor yeah. because they need it anyway or they can't deduct it. Right. I mean, they can give an expensive piece of jewelry to a nonprofit, mm-hmm. but unless they have um, an appraisal to back it up, the IRS is, it's going to flag an audit with the IRS. So, yeah, interesting. So, you know, this has been such a fascinating conversation and I really think it's a present uh, and, and not as in terms of a gift, <laughs> but a present meaning it's happening here and now, and it's only going to expand as this transference of wealth occurs. And we have baby boomers that have spent a lifetime accruing different things. And maybe their heirs aren't so interested in those things, but they want to divest. Um, talk about some of the pitfalls that non-cash donations present. Oh, good. Cause I was just about to do that. <laughs> <laughs> the pitfalls that they present are the costs of liquidating them from okay. the nonprofit's perspective. So, you know, there's a few kinds of in-kind donations. I see very, very commonly when we have clients who produce events or put on events, the local radio stations or television stations will give them advertising. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, Obviously, they're going to accept that advertising. They're going to book the fair market value of it as their revenue, book the expense, because if they didn't receive this in kind, they would have had to pay for it. So it's a revenue and it's expense and it's all perfect. So we're not talking about those types of in-kind donations. We're talking about in-kind donations that the nonprofit really can't use. 
it's not, you know, in, in my crazy example, that property that was yeah. donated, it was, I don't know, two or three hours away from the organization. It couldn't be used. Yeah. So if the nonprofit isn't going to use this, they need to think about the cost of liquidating it because the only reason to take something like this would be to cash it out and get some, some money out of it. Yeah. So they really need to think about what's going to be the cost to rehab, whatever it is that's donated, if rehab is necessary, what's going to be that cost? Again, what's going to be the payroll cost for the people on payroll who have to spearhead that rehabilitation of whatever the item is. Mm -hmm. What's going to be the payroll cost of that person who then has to sell these items to, to produce the income? Mm -hmm. So by the time you take all of this into account, yeah. plus the opportunity cost of those people's time. So if I'm on payroll for a nonprofit, and if I'm working to divest or to sell an antique car collection, that's time out of my day that I can't work on my real job, the job that I do most of the time. So that's what we call an opportunity cost. Mm -hmm. So there's two types of costs organizations need to look at. What's the hard cost? The hard cost of rehabbing these items to get them available for sale, the cost of advertising them for sale, the cost of if they find a third party who will sell them, how much will that third party keep? Those are hard costs. But then there's the soft cost, which is the internal person, in my example, me, managing it. What aren't I doing? Right. Because I'm busy managing the liquidation of the Velvus. You know, such a real, that's such a great comment. And I'm really glad you brought that up because that's one of those intangible things, along with the emotional aspect of it, of having to, to steward the relationship forward. As we know, in development, that's the number one thing we have to do. Um, you know, with our donors, we have to steward with transparency and integrity and all those things we, we always talk about and champion. But, you know, the hurt feelings about a family thinking that this is a really momentous thing, and it is, it is momentous for them, but for yes. the nonprofit, it might not have that same value. And so that's a tough conversation and, and minefield to walk through. Um, one last thing, and, and I feel like Again, this is going to be something that is popping up more and more, and this might seem a little out of left field, but um, IP, intellectual property, um, everything from copyrights to, you know, maybe copyrights on music or lyrics, uh, the use of art um, to patents, things of that nature. Are you starting to see more of that, or is that something that we just need to kind of catch as catch can when it comes our way? I'm not. Okay. I haven't seen that in in the book of business that I've been involved okay. with. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's going to be one of those things as we navigate more to or towards a, a tech society. It's something we probably should be looking at or thinking about because the value of some of those things um, coming through, you know, to our nonprofits. It, it again, that's the start the start of the conversation. The gift policy. 
Yes, absolutely. And, you know, to that point, I can make a plug for my favorite topic, crypto. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Which we do have. um, (laughs) We do have a counting on Chasen series about that. So um, if you are um, looking at that or thinking about that as is a na- navigating that within your your cash um, donation acceptance policy um, I should just say donation policy um, that really is something to, to, to take a look at you know Jackie I always learn so much from you um, I think one of the amazing things is that for me who's in the sector but not proficient in the accounting part you always bring it back make it real make it acceptable um, to ask questions and to learn. And and, and I, I so appreciate your time and talent. Jackie McLaughlin, CPA, Quality Control and Learning Manager uh, with our friends at Chazen and Company. You can reach out to Jackie and uh, connect with her. And Jackie's also one of our star presenters. We've had her on for other episodes. So you can find more of her uh, wonderful approach and knowledge um, on our Counting on Chazen series. Counting on Chazen comes to us from two ways. And what's remarkable about remarkable about this series is that the content's free. You do not have to be uh, a client of Chazen and Company. They will uh, they they offer this up, which is really amazing because most times when you access this type of knowledge, um, there's a cost to it, you know. And so uh, find all of this content and more at ChazenandCompany.com, or you can go directly to the source counting on Chazen where you will find all of these amazing um, series put together for you. Um, Again, I'm Julia Patrick, CEO of the American Nonprofit Academy. Jackie, this has been a lot of fun. I'm I'm gonna look at my my, uh, Velvis painting a little (laughs) differently now. Well, send it to me because I've always wanted one. Oh my gosh, you know, I, I swear, I, I think it's like one of those things that it's got to be happening more and more. And we're just not talking about it. You know, and <laughs> we're not really um, prepared. And so that's why I learned so much from you today. I think this has been great. Hey, again, everybody, follow us on chasenandcompany.com and learn from us. Um, along with us, I should say, as we explore all the ways that nonprofits can be more successful and more thoughtful with how they're working with their donors and their communities. Jackie, as always, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me.